God, thank you for today. Thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially this blessing of a life. You've given it to us for a reason and for a purpose and for a calling. So you rest in your will for our lives, in your provision for all we do, the strength and the will to follow you in righteousness. Amen.
Amen. You can have a seat. Morning, everyone. Hey, it's breakup. This is a long winter. Ugh. Got our six inches of snow, and now it's gone. <laughs> we don't have to put rake up your leaves now, so that's good. It's good to see you all this morning, and in just a, a few minutes after worship, we're going to invite our special guest speaker up here. Um, some of you know him, some of you are going to meet him for the first time, but he's got an amazing testimony he's going to share with us. But uh, we're going to pray before we release the kids out to Kids Church. Our dear Heavenly Father, you, uh, you give us something to run after. You are the cause for us to run. You reach out to us in the darkness. You show us the way. You point to the finish line. And you give us the strength to endure and to make it through. And for this and all things, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, kids, you can go learn about Jesus. We're going to stay around and worship for a little bit more.
Once again, good morning. Now we got the kids out of here, we can talk amongst ourselves. So, to PG 13. We've got some exciting things going on here in Friends Church, and you guys have been a big part of that. And before we bring Stan and Eric up, um, I wanted to talk to you about something we want to kick off this weekend. In fact, we kicked it off already this morning, and people are already starting to participate. And if you remember back about a year ago, we started talking about things that we wanted to do as a church. And one of the big things that you guys wanted us to do was to get involved in the community. And we've been trying to do that. Um, today, when we bring up Stan Bourne from, uh, uh, from, from another church, wow, a guy from another church right here in Fairbanks is coming here. How dare he? <laughs> and he's got a great testimony. But some of the other things we're doing, you know, Kids Day, we had the community picnic. I don't know if you know this, but the guys from Wham, they went down and they uh, had a barbecue for the homeless down there. We were able to get lots of ditty bags. And we've just got, one, you know, it's just one thing after another. We've got this big uh, mission field right next to us, this boys and girls home of Alaska. And, you know, one of the things they needed, art supplies. We were able to give $1,000 to give them some art supplies. And they made us these great cards. You guys are making a huge impact. 
It's just one thing after another. We just, you, you just feel it. You just feel it in the community as the church comes together. So one of the things that we wanted to do to help continue to be able to, to do that is, is, is have a fundraiser of sorts. And so what we decided to do was to ask 250. If we can get at least 250 people to donate 10% of their dividend, we'll raise $50,000 in the next couple of weeks. And, and we've already got 10 people who have already done that. So they're, they're seeing that, you know, we've got this huge dividend, this over $2,000 dividend. We've got oil prices way down here. It's like this confluence of events. It's, it's like a blood moon or something, too. I don't know how that all works in there, but somehow it does. Anyway, you got all these things coming together, and what we want you to do is get on board with this. We want you to understand that this is your church. This is your mission, the Great Commission, to go out there into the world and to spread the gospel and to make disciples. And one of the ways we do that is not only meeting, you know, face-to-face with our neighbors, but by going out there and making an impact in the world. And people say, what is causing these people to want to give up their time, their treasure, and their blood to help us? And we can say, well, that's easy. It's Jesus Christ. So you can text to give. You can do that. You can do your text to give. You can just write on there. You know, it's called Shelter Our Sheep. That's our fundraiser. 250 people to pledge 10% of their dividend, and we'll raise our goal of $50,000. And like I said, we've already got 10 people that have did it. So we're we're, we're making some progress already this morning. you got information right in your your bulletins. And uh, we thank you for jumping on board with us on this, and we're really excited. We know that God can do amazing things. We were like, ah, $50,000. And then we started thinking about it. We said, oh, man, God can make that $500,000 if he wants wanted to. That's not a big deal. So, well, without further ado, I wanted to bring up Brother Eric, who's going to uh, introduce his, his, uh, his fa- not only his family member, just an amazing guy with an amazing testimony. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Brother Eric. What kind of a church are we? Come on. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, feather, fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus. <laughs> I don't say that mockingly at all. Actually, I was on the East Coast this summer, and I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and everybody, when they stood up and preached, they were like, fellow brothers of Christ. I was like, wow, do people do that? Am I supposed to do that when we preach? I don't know. I'd just like to say hello. Welcome to Friends Church. Um, if you're visiting, we're very happy you're here. You know, we sort of took a turn uh, in the last few weeks, uh, just through my prayer and Getting into the word, if you guys have been in the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series called Kingdom and Culture, but we've been diving into addiction and um, secret sin and what holds us down and just the struggles that we all have in the last couple of weeks. And when we were praying about it, I was talking to Dave Chester and we were talking as a leadership, uh, me, Floyd, Brian, and Dave, and just talking about where we should be going next with this, what would be a really good way to cap it. And um, one of the things we uh, just thought of was asking Stan if he would be willing to come and preach at our church. Stan is the recovery director and the pastor of Journey Underground. Um, yeah, so super awesome. But more importantly to me, he is a dear friend. I've known him for years, and he's actually family. So I'm very happy he's here this morning. Before you come up, Stan, I'm getting flagged from every direction. We're going to take the offering really quick, and then uh, you won't have to deal with that. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you have planned to share through the testimony of my friend, And Lord, I pray that you would just speak powerfully through his life and through the words that he has for this body. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing unity 
uh, in the church. The church is a body that spreads across this whole earth. And we thank you that buildings do not divide us, Lord, and that you are continuing to blow down the walls between our establishments. And I pray that you would continue to do that. Thank you for his willingness to come and to speak to this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as he speaks. And God, for every person that gives this morning, Lord, that it would be used for the benefit of your kingdom, for the furthering of your purpose, Lord, for your glory to be lifted high. God, we only have because you have given to us. So we just entrust back to you. Um, Be glorified in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please give a warm welcome to Stan Bourne, wherever he is, right there. All right. Thank you. I wanted a head start going up those stairs. It was a long way. So is there any way I can have a, just a little adjustment? With, I want to see you. It's so nice from up here to, to look out on everyone's sleeping faces. Just kidding. <laughs> the first thing I want to do is point out my wife and family. Um, I have my wife and my daughter. My mother, my sister. You guys stand up. Look, here they are. They get to be related to me. Anyway, thanks, Eric, for the privilege of um, being able to share up here today. Um, this is definitely not my norm. Like, this is the largest small group I've ever been in, for sure. So I ask for your grace towards me this morning. Um, A lot of you uh, know my story, and uh, for those of you who do not, um, I'll give you the quick uh, no-tier version, tear-free version, Um, because I have some things I do want to share this morning. Um, My parents were entertainers. Um, I grew up during the 70s, and some of you that know about the 70s would say, you know, we don't need to say anymore. (laughs) And uh, it was a it was a culture of of love, sex, rock and roll, very open to to all those things, and you know it wasn't unusual for a lot of drugs to be passed around our house and you know in little circles and and um, I would jump right in as a, a young boy and my parents weren't trying to be abusive; um, they really felt like they were being open minded and if it feels good, do it. Uh, and my, my parents were entertainers, and they traveled the country. Uh, my father was an X-rated comedian. Uh, my mother was a dancer, and uh, that's how they made their living. And my father was a, a heavy needle user and a pill taker and pot smoker and a, a porn addict and all these things. And um, I also became... Uh, not just a drug user, but a drug addict. And I became a drug addict on a level I can hardly even express um, with words when I share that. Um, I got off to a really bad start. Um, school was very difficult, um, with no surprise in that. Um, I had straight F's in the seventh grade, and uh, it was fairly traumatic for me. I, I couldn't seem to think. And um, they went ahead and passed me on to the eighth grade to give me a, ch- a chance at it. And, and 
after a, a very bad experience in, in eighth grade, I, I no longer went back um, to school. Um, not in that way. And um, I suffered an arrest that was pretty devastating to me, uh, fairly young for an armed robbery charge, and um, did my first little stint in jail and introduced me to that whole world, uh, which was very painful and actually very scary. Um, but I wanted love like anyone else. I wanted relationships. I wanted people in my life and closeness. I was a very sensitive person. And I learned very quickly that I needed to hide my drug use. Um, I needed to hide my addiction and the pills and the needles and all these things. And sometimes it would come up, you know, and I, I would lose relationships. I, I would hurt and lose everything I owned many times over. Um, and I, I just got really good at learning how to hide it from people that I wanted to love me. And um, I, uh, I met a young lady uh, at a skating rink one night, and uh, it was a Christian night. And uh, um, beware of Christian night. <laughs> I um, <laughs> Guys like me show up at Christian Mingle and stuff. It's like, great. Um. I met this girl. She was a single parent woman. She was pretty successful. Had a good reputation in the neighborhood. You know, she was very sophisticated. And I was really drawn to her and who she was, the way she carried herself. And I knew I could learn a lot from, from her. And I had a lot of questions about how to live life. And her kids loved me. She had two kids. And they called me dad. I loved it. I loved being dad. And it meant a lot to me when they made that decision. And I loved them. And I did a lot of things with them. And we got married and became a family. Um, family photos, all of it. And we were together for eight years as a family. Uh, but there was something they didn't know about me <laughs> that I was a drug addict. Um, I've worked nights almost my whole life. And in my nightlife, um, I had my own business uh, cleaning floors and stripping and waxing and I was in grocery stores in various ways and I would do my little deals at work at night and meet people I knew and I had my little rounds I would make the things I would get and then I would go home and be that guy you know love my wife be very involved with her um love my kids I was involved in their schoolwork. <laughs> um and there were times I tried to deal with it. There was times I, I would reach out, times I would go. I remember meeting with a guy on the side. I got a hold of him and was like, man, I got to talk to you. And I remember sitting down with this guy. This happened a few times throughout the years, uh, telling him what exactly was going on. He's like, okay, what are you doing? You know, and I told him about the needles, and I told him about uh, the pills and, and the amounts and, and how often. And, and when I was done, he was like, dude, you're not going to get over this like it's some kind of drug deal. You're not going to meet someone like shady sideways and, and get something done here. You have a serious problem. Like you have a serious problem. I'm not just telling you how severe this thing is, you know. Um, and I would leave those meetings very discouraged and, and distraught. Well, I remember when we got the news, uh, my wife had a, had a cancer diagnosis, and uh, it was a pretty bad situation. And for those of you 
have faced cancer and those things, it's, it's terrifying, it's exhausting, it's, it's scary. You have to learn a whole new language. And we began to do that. And as she got weaker and weaker over this two-year span of her fighting uh, cancer, um, I took on more and more. You know, I, I got a second job. I worked really hard. I was working night, day. I was really stressed. And I didn't really know how to handle pressure quite like that. It was mind-breaking pressure to me. And the kids needed me. They were scared. And I'd reassure them. I remember gathering them around, telling them, guys, we're a family. And, and we're going to make it. And, and I'm here. I'm your dad, you know. And you're not alone. And this is going to be our finest hour as a family. We're going to pull through this. And my wife telling me, you know, what if this stuff doesn't work? We're trying. What if? What if? And I, and I remember telling her, it's going to work. It's going to work. And we're going to go through this. And we're together. And as she began to disintegrate, and things got worse, you know, I, I just noticed in my drug dealings at night, it was just, I need a couple more of those, and go ahead and give me a little more of that, and I'm going to need just another bump of this. And it was kind of like this gradual thing where my use began to escalate, and I was sleeping less. And I did act weird at times. Times they would question, like, why are you sick all the time? You know, your stories don't quite line up. And and they didn't think along drug terms because they were a Christian family, and, and they just couldn't see that in me, the way I presented myself and the way I carried myself, the things that mattered to me. Um, they just never would even think that about me, and they believed in me in those ways. And a few months before my wife would pass away, this is always hard, just telling you, this is always hard. A few months before she passed away, uh, she did something that was completely out of character for our relationship and our patterns that we had formed. Um, she went through my vehicle um, from one end to the other. Didn't, didn't leave a spot. Um, she went to my job. Um, she interviewed people I worked with. She collected every receipt. She followed me. This is what my wife did with her last months on this planet. And I couldn't be sorrier for, for that being the situation. Um, I'll never forget the day I came home and there with the kids standing behind her very frightened. And there she sits, discolored. She's dying. And there's a pile of evidence on the floor of drugs, bags, very embarrassing things. And there was absolutely no possible way to deny what was right in front of us. And she pointed her finger at me and she said, who are you? Who in the world are you? You've come into our lives. How dare you, you know? She said, I'm going to ask you to leave. Leave our home. And I don't want you to ever, ever come back here again. 
and I turn to walk out, and things are hitting me on the back as I, I left my post. You know, I can't say this enough that we as men are designed to be champions. We want to be hero. We are designed to come through in these times of crisis and problems. We, we're made to handle the weight. It's what we're made for. We know it. We know this is it. This is fourth down and ten. What are we going to do? You know, this, this is the, the roughest, worst, darkest storm this family would ever face as a family. And I was the one leading the charge. And what was I going to do? Well, I disqualified myself for the position to go on through this with his family. Um, I would have done anything. I would have done anything to have changed the situation as it was absolutely anything to be different, for things to have been different in that time, to be able to walk her through this dark time and hold her and be a father to those kids, represent God the Father, represent a priest, pray over them, to be there with them, to lose sleep with them, to cry with them, and usher her into the next world, knowing that she is loved and that everything is going to be okay. And that her believing in me was not a mistake. I would have done anything. I would have done anything to have been that guy on that day, in that time, in that place. And it wasn't the case at all. She would sell our home and move to an undisclosed location. And she would die with the kids by her side. I lost absolutely everything during that time. I suffered another felony arrest. I lost everything. I lost my business. I lost all my my vehicles, my home. I'd worked so hard for my family. I was in the newspaper. I want you to know that Jesus came to this world. And if he came to this world for the broken... I want you to know he came to this world for me, (laughs) right? I want you to know that if Jesus came to this world to save the people who are manipulating, cheating, liars, and snakes, I want you to know he came for me. He came for me. I want you to know if he came to this world to die for somebody that's a snake and a scumbag and it would lie to your face to get their next hit, to do whatever it took. He came to save me. He came to save someone exactly like me. I'm thankful for the verse that talks about how That even when our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. (laughs) That even when our hearts say, that's it, you've done it for the last time, it's too late for you, it's over. Life's not worth living anymore. When our hearts say that, when our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. I want you to know that's awesome to me. Uh, That day and those days 
was were the worst days of my life, without a doubt. Um, the worst days. I can even begin to tell you the worst days. I loathed who I was. But in the strangest ways, guys, I'm telling you, because I'm speaking to the church, I'm with family. I want you to know in the strangest way, in the most spiritual kind of way, God kind of way, it was the greatest day of my life. So many people are trapped in these roles and we're stuck and we're faking it and we're playing games and we're doing this false front and we're trying desperately to hold it together and people are buying it. And the more people need you to be that, the more you put behind making it work and it's painful and it's hard and it's scary. And sometimes God's greatest gifts are extremely painful. We all need that igniting moment, that moment where everything changes, where nothing can possibly be the same. Nothing. And that moment that comes where we finally get real. <laughs> we need it. It's like an actor on a stage, and he gets mixed up and starts thinking that that role is his life. You know, and it's not. It's not real. I came to Alaska homeless, a broken. I had one set of clothes, and I was devastated. My brother gave me some roofing jobs, and I would sit on that roof, and I would weep, and I would weep, and I would weep, and I would weep over my family, and I would cry, and I just couldn't stop. How do you recover from that? How do you recover from being that guy in that time, in that place, with the people you love so much, and they're gone? And there's no way to take back the hurt in people's eyes that needed you. Back when I was uh, 10 years old, 11 years old, um, my parents had an escort service. They ran out of the home. My father did this. And people would call in, describe the kind of girl they wanted. And my dad would send them the closest thing that he had. We had these women in Cadillacs. It sounds glamorous. It was hardly glamorous. It was awful. And we saw all kinds of crazy things. And I remember this young girl came under my father's influence she was different. You know, I was 10 years old, 11 years old. She was 16. And she was stunning. And she had the kindest eyes of anyone I'd ever met when she would look at me. And because of who my father was, you know, she, she listened to him, did what he said. And soon, I mean, before she even got her bags unpacked, she was on drugs. She was out of it. And he, he was feeding her in the machine. And I was watching it. And I felt for her. I would sit there at night. She would come home in all these various states of dress or undress. And she would just completely be passed out. And I would sit with her and hold her hand. And I would wonder if she had any idea what was going on. I didn't think she did. And she had to have some idea. But I would worry about her. She was different than the other women. And would lay there in my room at night. And try to get her attention sometimes, see if she knew who I was. Kind of hard at 10. 
you know, my, my Snoopy PJs, you know, didn't have a lot of game going on. I didn't know what I expected her to say. It was just the way you held that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was just, it was just awesome. I couldn't believe it when I came to Alaska. My brother said, hey, you remember that girl? Remember that girl that lived? And I was like, of course. And he's like, she lives here. She lives here in Alaska. And I was like, you've got to be joking me. I'm like, i got to talk to her. i got to hear her side of the story. I want to tell her, fill in the gaps for her. Tell her what she never saw, what my dad was up to, all these things. I got, what happened to her? What did she become? I really wanted to know. And I got my chance. And we sat down, we talked. And she said, what have you become? And I said, I have become a loser. Like, completely, totally. What did you become? She said, I have become a loser. Like, a loser. I said, no, I have become a loser. <laughs> this was an argument. And so I told her everything that had happened to me. I didn't hold back one snaky move, one lying, cheating thing. I just told her all of it, all the garbage. And when I was done, she said, yeah, you are a loser. <laughs> you are a loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she told me hers. She told me her story. It was awful. It was terrible. The things that had happened to her, things she had been through, people that should have helped her, that used her in even worse ways. It was just an awful story. When she was done, I said, you know, you're a loser. You are too. You're also a loser. We're... You know, I don't know if you know that when one loser connects with another loser and they get married, you got a real big loser, you know. You got, you got a big loser, right? But how many of you know that when one loser that's married to another loser, when they surrender their entire lives over to the care of God, you... Yeah, yeah, thank you. You have just entered the realm of anything's possible. Anything's possible when that happens. The book of Peter tells us that God, it tells us about all that God has done to save us from that empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. How crazy is that? The book of Peter tells us that all that God has done for us to save us from the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. That is really, really awesome news. My wife and I were lost. We were lost people. And the good news about being lost is it means there's somewhere you belong. It means there's somewhere that you are to call home for you and to you. And so many people are caught between I'm broken and I'm going to indulge and this pretense and this front that we put out and we're caught in the middle of this game and it is so painful. And I can tell you that God did not leave me here alive on this planet just to not do drugs anymore. No, that wasn't the point of my life. You know, I'm not just not doing drugs. You know, call me at my house. What are you doing? Well, I'm not doing drugs. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> that doesn't last very long. You know, pretty soon you won't get an answer at all <laughs> because I am doing them. 
God has left me on this planet to show up as the person he had in mind when he thought of me in the first place. And God has left you on this planet for you to be who God had in his heart for you to be when he thought of you in the first place. Uh, That's what he's called us to be. And to be priests of God on this planet, healing agents, right? We need to get them to clap at the underground. That's really cool. I like that. They, I get booze over there. You know, it's just, yeah. A priest is someone that knows how to receive from God and give to people. And a priest is someone that knows how to receive from people and give to God, bring it to them. Right? Who are you fighting for at night when you pray? Right? Who are you bringing God to in a real way? Not a religious way, but a real way. Our brains are absolutely amazing things. And I got to explain this real quick. If you put yourself under enough pressure, enough stress, enough trauma, your brain will actually split and disassociate and compartmentalize to survive. It's amazing how we are designed. Our brains will do it. And we do it in small ways too. But I needed my father. I needed my mother. I needed father to tell me how to show up in this world as a man, how to be a man. What is a man? How to be masculine. Call masculine out of me. And help me step into life with something. And I know that roles are a little different sometimes. You know, some people, wives are different and and husbands are different. But the idea is, when I skin my knee... I need to be vulnerable and cry to mom. She comes, comforts me, teaches me it's good to be vulnerable, teaches me how to comfort myself, receive comfort in a healthy way, that it's okay to feel and learn how to wield my inner life, develop a powerful inner life. And then what does dad say? Hey, stop babying him. Come on. He needs to come out here. Get over it. And and, And dad calls us out into the world. You know, I need an inner life, comfort, heal, deal with my stuff. And I need an outer life of how to show up as me in a confident, powerful way. And if we don't get those things, our brain will begin to isolate and say, okay, it's not safe to be vulnerable. It's not safe to reach out. I'm not getting anything there. So it's up to me. And our brain will begin to regulate and find a way to regulate, find a way to balance this out. Pain, pleasure, all these things. And it will find a way to self-gratify, which is addiction in a nutshell. I'm self-gratifying. A real need. A real need. I'll turn to drugs, sex, alcohol, food, gambling, fantasy, anger, perfectionism, money. We can go on and on and on. But what I find out is that what I've attached to to help me live, what I've grabbed a hold of to keep afloat, has now turned on me. Now it's become a prison to me. This thing that helped me survive and helped me live, this behavior I developed to be able to live and cope, now has become an enemy. Now it's harming me, harming the ones I love. It's keeping me in a prison. And now I'm really, really stuck. Now I'm really trapped. And so one of the hardest things and most important things an addict must do is break that connection, break that association he's making 
with that addictive behavior, substance, whatever it is, the activity, and the need that it represents, the need that we're associating with that particular thing. Breaking that is absolutely essential and super difficult. I had a chemical to deal with my inner life, and I had a chemical for how to show up in life. So I had these chemical parents that I developed to wield on my own to live, and they worked until they didn't work anymore. It's amazing how Paul's letters, and that's, that's one of the reasons the team of teachers here at Friends, uh, one of the reasons they know that to lay the foundations of Scripture. You know, Eric's huge on this. The foundation of what God says, what God says, what God says, what God says. Are realigning our brain. What is real? What is true? What is concrete? And Paul's letters had this amazing way that in the beginning of all his letters, there's this giant dump of all God has provided for us in Christ. All he's made you to be. All he's done for you. All he says you are. And he empowers you in your inner man. And then he tells you how to step into it. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. It's almost like God designed us, you know, or something. <laughs> but it's like we're running. Imagine you're running through the woods and this, these warriors are chasing you and you're terrified and you're running like mad for your life and you're scrambling and you receive a horrible gouge, like a terrible deep cut in your arm. You know what you'll do? You will, to survive, disassociate with his arm. You'll do a tourniquet, cut it off from its life source, and you will disassociate and you will run to survive. And the agreement you're making with yourself is when I get to a safe place, when I get to safety, I'm then going to reassociate myself, unwind this, let life flow, feel the wound, hurt and cry, heal and become whole again. And you know, the problem is, is most of us never find that safe place. Most of us never find that time and that space where we stop and we do it because we get really good at living with one arm with our wound. And so it's not just what we're running from, but what we've run to and we're trapped. It's a trap, this whole thing. So I had to ask myself some questions along. My wife had to ask herself some questions. What do we refuse to feel? What is it that I'm not dealing with? We gave ourselves permission to survive. And now we need to give ourselves permission to go ahead and heal. Now we need to give ourselves permission to stop. And receive some healing. Uh, we've been talking about triggers and association at some of our groups. And if you're not in recovery, guys, you're missing out on so much fun. You're just missing out on some real fun. I mean, you want to hear some crazy stories, you know, and all of it. And you might be like, Stan, I don't deal with any of those things. Well, oh, make something up. Can you make something up? Can you get in there? Sit in one of those circles when it comes to you, just make up something. Go, wow, that was crazy. I'm going to be that for a while. 
we have in the bulletin there a little diagram I put in there for uh, Eric. That's the extent of my notes is that diagram is God, self, and others, you know. And that is a picture of recovery. That's a picture of the 12 steps. That's a picture of the Christian life. It's a picture of the most functional life a person could live. Uh, God, that's step one through three. Self, that's four through seven. Others, that's eight through 12. Restoring our relationship with God. Restoring our relationship with ourselves. Through the lens of our relationship with God. And then turning and loving other people. And having a relationship with other people. If you want to know how your Christian life is going, how spiritual you are, how much you love God, look at your relationships with other people. And that will be a mirror of your relationship with God. How you treat them is how you're treating God. That's what he says. You know, my sister came to Alaska here two years ago. Needle tracks all over her arms. She was beat up terrible bad by a guy who said he loved her. And she came to detox on our couch from heroin. She'd been on a long run. And she was exhausted. And she came, landed on our couch to detox. And it was a very painful thing to see from my sister. And it was weird because it was that time when we had that uh, power outage, you know. So it was really a bad time. Um. I'm like, how's the detox going, sis? And she's like, I'm so cold. I'm like, no, that's, that's because we're all cold. It's a, it's a power outage. It's, <laughs> it has nothing to do. I think my sister has a record of the, the coldest detox ever. She's a <laughs> sub-zero detox. And I want you to know, my sister, I have hardly seen, I don't know if I have seen someone embrace recovery with the intensity that my sister embraced it. She knew her life was at stake, and she just went for it. She had an extreme commitment to recovery. She embraced all of the concepts, just ate through material, ate through curriculums, embraced the groups. And you want to know where my sister went to do an awful lot of healing? Right here. Right here. She came here to the Celebrate Recovery groups, and it was an enormous part. Where's my beautiful sister? Hey, stand up for a second. Yeah, come on. There's my sister. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome stuff. Our memories are like containers. It's part of what we've been talking about there. And, and just hear this, okay? You're like, Okay. <laughs> thought you weren't on drugs anymore. <laughs> I know. Our, our memories are like containers, right? In our containers, like when we're traumatized, a big part of trauma is that I'm immobile, I'm trapped in this thing, and I'm scared to death, and it traumatizes us. Well, a lot of our memories are like this in different ways, where in that container, you're experiencing something. You're a certain age in that container. You're smelling certain smells, you're hearing certain sounds, you're seeing certain things in that container. It's a memory. And you associate things with this memory. And our brain's amazing about that. And so I was talking to a lady the other day who, um, when she was like four or five, every time they would get, uh, her dad would be driving and every time they would get to open water 
or over some scary bridge, he would act like the car was like malfunctioning, like he'd be flipping the clutch and oh, you know, panicking. And he thought it was funny, like notice the guys are all laughing, like it's kind of funny. But she was traumatized. All her siblings are traumatized. Like you go over open water with them in the car, and guess where they are? They're in that container. Guess how old they are? Guess how old they feel? Guess what they're experiencing in that time when we're going over that bridge? Their brain saying, hey, you're little and you can't handle this. You're a little person and we're overwhelmed and I'm terrified. And this is what people deal with with these associations and triggers and all these things. When we're triggered, we're in an altered state. And the tough part about being triggered or being in an altered state is we make decisions in an altered state. We do things that get us arrested and change our lives in these states. These triggers or associations we make or these temptations can be people, places, can be smells, uh, can be all sorts of things can be a spoon, you know. I remember when I went to a, a recovery here in Alaska, when I first started, they, the guy was telling me, um, I think it was my probation officer, he was telling me, uh, you got to stay away from all your triggers. I'm like, okay, what's a trigger? And he's like, you know, anything that takes you back to using, like where you associate it with using. I'm like, okay. So I go home and I'm like, oh, can't go in my kitchen at all. Like, there's no way. <laughs> and... Well, I can't go to the bathroom because everything in there, like there's no way of going in there. Can't look in my wallet. Can't get in my car. And I was really discouraged and kind of heartbroken. Like, man, you know, I've lived an entire life of this stuff. I don't know. what I know people who every spoon in their house is black on the bottom. I mean, this is tough stuff here. And then I began to learn the same kind of stuff that Eric and them are teaching here about this foundation of the scripture and about what God says and about what reality really is and began to learn what Eric was touching on. I believe it was last week you were were talking about desires, right? That all these things that I'm avoiding and I'm seeing and I'm panicking over certain people, certain places, things, these things aren't external. These things are internal. So he says, it's an inside job. And how many of you do know that God specializes in internal transformation, changing us from the inside out? That's awesome. So awesome. And this is what my wife is one of my biggest heroes in this because she didn't even know if she could keep living in this town because of all the things that went on, the abuse and all these horrible things. Her story is so hard to hear. And we have went back to places that were like too much for her to drive by. And we're like, we're going to get out of the car. We're going in there. We're making a new memory. We're going to sing and dance. We're going to pray. We're going to read. We're making a new memory. We're taking this place back. And we would form a new memory, right? We would form something different. And it's not always that simple, I understand. But there are places she drives by now that instead of cringing, she grins. (laughs) And that's just a wonderful thing. She's done a tremendous amount of work. I married that girl I told you about, by the way. 
I married that girl. I married that girl. That girl whose hand I held on the couch when she was completely out of it and in a trance. That 16-year-old girl. You know, I want to wear my Snoopy PJs sometimes. Show her. You're, you're missing out so much. Stand by the door and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I got a couple points and I'll wrap it up. Drugs and these addictions bypass the fun. Like we're having a blast. What if you could get in a helicopter right now and all of a sudden be at the top of Mount Everest? You're like, hey, I'm at the top of Mount Everest. I was at the top of Mount Everest. Everyone would be like, big deal. (laughs) You manipulated your way up there. Like, you flew up there. In other words, you're not the kind of guy that can go to the top of Mount Everest. Right? That's what the point would be. It would be like if you got married, and the moment you said, I do, you were instantly super old and at the very end of life, and you made it. It's like, well, you made it. Why are you complaining? (laughs) You know, well, what about the journey? What about all the stuff? You know? And that's the whole thing is I can come home, guys, and I can be under a lot of pressure, and I can be in pain, and I can have anxiety, and I can have problems and knots that need to be untied, and I can take a pill and have peace. Or I can smoke a bowl and have peace. I can chug one down and be in that place. But have I really gone to that place? Am I the kind of guy that can go to that place? No, I can go home now, and I can be under pain pressure and anxiety and have knots that need to be untied and be hurting and I can call my sponsor I can call my pastor I can read I can pray I can cry out, I can hurt I can yearn and long I can mourn, I can forgive and guess what when I come to peace it may take me a while but when I come to peace, guess what I have arrived at peace. Right? And I'm the kind of guy that can arrive at peace in these places of joy and power and all these things, these things offer, but they bypass all the stuff. It bypasses everything. We want to be the kind of people that can take people to these places because we know how to go there. Pavlov's dog. We all know about Pavlov's dog where he... Uh, Rings a bell, feeds them, right? Rings a bell, feeds them, right? Rings a bell, drools. Rings a bell, he drools, and we all laugh, but it's not funny when the things we drool over destroy our lives. When the bell rings for love, and I destroy my life by the things I'm drooling, the things I'm associating, that that's love, that that's security, that's peace. So I can't do it alone because when the bell rings... I need my brothers and sisters beside me. Hold my hand. Say, Stan, drool away. Just drool away. It's okay. It's all right. We know. It hurts. It hurts like crazy. It hurts like mad. Form new grooves and new pathways in your brain. Form a new way to live. We got you. We got you. We're here. And it can happen. And we watch it happen all the time. So I'll just close with this statement. I hurt my whole life about me. I would go to bed anxious, afraid, and terrified. I hated the sight of my own face. 
I hurt so bad all the time. My whole life I have been in pain in here. And I want you to know, because of what God has done for me, he's made me a brand new person. Made me brand new. I don't have my own peace. He's given me his. I don't have my own joy. I walk in his. And I want you to know, I don't hurt about Stan Bourne anymore. I don't. Thank you. God is so good, isn't he? So good. Man, I don't know why we got here as a church. You know, I was praying a few weeks ago. We're in the middle of a kingdom and culture, and now we're in addictions. But that's how God moves. And I don't think it was just happenstance that Stan was willing to come. I think that God wants to do a transformation in this church. You know, the world needs to see Christ. We need to be Christ in this world. Because the world desperately needs to see Christ. And what he's offered us is not just a life where he forgives us of our sin and then we just struggle through our addiction until we die. He's offered us the power of the resurrection. He's offered the power of his promises. He's offered us the power of testimonies and transformation. He's offered us new life, church. And so many people in this room I know just feel lost and broken and you, you're ashamed and Man, Christ came while we were still yet sinners and died for us. Knowing where we were, knowing who we are, how we see ourselves. And he said, I will come and I will redeem you. Will you trust and put your hope in me? So today, you know, I think this is just the first step of maybe a lot of you transformation of I need to get out. I need to get out of this pursuit of myself and find Christ. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you are struggling today, if you've never confessed your sin to anybody, if you feel completely hopeless, please come forward. If you don't come today, I know me and Sam were talking before church. A lot of you have stuff on the line. You might be incredibly you know, known in the community and you got a lot going, you have a big family and you got an awesome job. And what if this comes out? What, what is freedom worth to receive the free gift that God has given us? What are we willing to strive to grab it? Because in Philippians, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's there. It's here. It's done. It's finished. And the, and the promise of that verse, 2.13, because it is God who works in us in us the transformation both to will which means to change our desire and to work which means to strengthen us as we move towards him because it is his pleasure to do so it's his pleasure to do so father we thank you for stan's testimony this morning lord we thank you for the power that comes in hearing transformation power that comes in 
and really being able to grab hold of what redemption looks like. If, if it can happen for him, it can happen for me. The same God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power never fades, never ends. And Father, I pray that you would bring a transformation into this body, that we'd be a people that not only have the faith to believe that you would save us from our sins, but we have the faith and the assurance and the hope that you would save us from ourselves, that you would save us from the things that our hearts are tied to, that you would save us from the desires of our flesh, and that you would draw us into a place of honor, into a place of freedom because of your Son. Lord, let this be a foundational step this morning as a church, that you would root in us the power that is found in the cross. Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite all of you guys to Thursday nights. Celebrate Recovery happens every single week. Thursday nights at 6.30. A lot of things can happen when we come out and we get with believers and we hold on and we just strive towards Jesus. So please, if you're struggling, you don't come up today and you're like, man, I could really use some community. Thursday nights at 6.30, coffee shop, there's dinner, there's worship. And there's a whole community waiting for you. Have an awesome week.
You guys have a blessed week. If you have any questions or need any prayers, you can write up here that I'd love to talk to you.